Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Transform Sales Podcast. Today, I am so excited to be interviewing Robert Araujo. How are you, Robert? Very good. How are you? I am doing awesome. Let me tell you a little bit more about Robert. He's an entrepreneur at heart with a deep understanding of sales, reading human patterns, and has a true appreciation for leadership. Staying true to the numbers is needed to be successful, but a leader that can connect with people can take you far. A combination of the two makes you unstoppable. I know you didn't just pop out of the womb with this amazing leadership concept. Tell us about how you kicked off your career and how you got to where you are today with this nice formula for leadership success. For sure. Yeah, no, the leadership definitely came kind of later in life. In the beginning, it was more of like, oh, me, me, me. How much money can I make? You know, all that kind of stuff. And it molded into building a tech company. And But I started... Um, at first, I realized I was good at like selling to my neighbors when we had the school fundraisers and all that. I'm like, all right, I see a dog here. How can I start the conversation and get them to actually talk to me right now other than being just a cute kid, right? So I used to always win those contests. And then I got uh, like a letter in the mail from Vector Marketing. They're the management branch to sell Cutco knives. So I know a lot of your listeners probably that was one of their first jobs in college or like around that time they mass recruited. But at first I was like, I'm going to sell knives. But then they cut a penny in front of me and I'm like, oh, yeah, I could sell this all day. So the beginning, you know, was neighbors and referrals, learning how to build relationships. And the thing I learned about Cut from Cutco really was just like the psychology of sales. And this is in person mm. at the time, right? So don't sit across from someone, sit next to them because there's natural like barriers when you do that and people drop their guard when you sit next to them. Make sure when you're done presenting mm. a knife, put it in the correct position and roll it so now it's not a messy table and the person's like, I don't want all these freaking knives on my counter. Like it's a clean presentation. So mm. I did learn a lot of the psychology of that, which did translate into my career starting Homestack, we build apps for realtors, brokerages, and teams that look very similar to like the Zillow's Redfin's of the world from like a user experience standpoint, but we personalize it to where they can add it to their marketing and all that. But uh, that's why I went from selfish Robert to making tons of money, 1099, traveling, working 25 hours a week to now you know, averaging 60 to 80 hours a week running a tech company. Hmm. I really love those lessons that you gave us from your experience with Cutco. I'm like, is Cutco even still around? Did I still sell Oh, knives? yeah, they're number one. Still number one. Number one, still number one. Still I number feel like one. sometimes when I'm walking in Costco, I see somebody from like Cutco or a Cutco company there. Yeah, most of their sales are driven by recruiting college kids, getting them to first introduce this to their family and friends, and then maybe 10% of them move on to the next phase of like learning how to build referrals and, you know, getting deeper into the, into the game. Oh, so their whole strategy is get them young and hungry, get their close network. And then it's like, okay, we know you're not probably not gonna last six months. We'll just get a new batch. I mean, it's up. It, they don't fire you unless you do something crazy. Like I've heard some stories, but uh, <laughs> but um, like naturally, if you run out of referrals, like you gotta 
now go and sharpen knives to then build your base that way. But a lot of people just don't make it after a month or two. Mm. It gets harder. Yeah, it kind of sounds like some companies I've heard about lately. <laughs> if you don't produce, well, you're, we're booting you out. So the lessons that you learned, the psychology of sales, I don't think we talk about that often enough, right? So it's those subtle things that you mentioned that a lot of salespeople, they forget, right? They forget the human element. So share with us some more of the things, the core lessons that you learned and that you still use today in your early career in um, B2C sales. Well, at the end of the day, like you can be the salesperson that just talks and talks and talks and feature dumps and, you know, everything under the moon about the product you're selling, but that's not going to get the deal closed most of the time. Like occasionally you will run into the person and they just want the knives or they want the app and it's an easy sale. Emotional intelligence is important. Listening is important. Figuring out how to handle objections and not argue with people is important and how to like best dig out the real objection. Like, Hey, I just, you know, don't want to do this for this reason. And then you dig in by asking certain questions to really discover what the truth is and offer a solution to that problem. So the psychology of sales really is not just reading the person. And now we all have to evolve after COVID. I actually used to thrive in the person to person because I like there's an energy element to that. Like you can see their body language a little differently. Now people don't always have their Zoom cameras on, right? There's not that like, oh, I see them like their arms sweating or like those elements are gone now. So when it comes to digital, listening is even that much more important and asking the right questions so that you can really discover the truth to solve problems. Mm listening, really paying attention to the person sitting next to you or sitting across from you or in front of you on the camera. And again, I think that it's the subtleties, right? Like one thing that I tell salespeople when we're working on a training session is, is the person looking down? Are they looking away? Are they looking at you? Are they leaning in? Are they leaning back, right? It's like the small, subtle things the cues you pick up on. And one thing that I really love is I like when people start using my words. I'm like, yay, yeah. I've ingrained it in your mind. You're using the words I'm using. Exactly. Matching their body language, their tone. And sometimes though, like you got the, you got the guy that's just like so low energy and you almost want to like give them energy. So like you hype them up a little, but not too much to where you intimidate them, right? Like you get them excited about something, you see a little smirk and then you build off of that. So did you go directly from Cutco to launching your own company or how, what happened in between? So I got over selling knives. <laughs> it took six years. I was like, you know what? On to something new. My buddy who used to actually sell with me, Cutco, started selling life insurance. He's like, bro, you can make so much money. It's like easier. You get residuals and la la la. So I got licensed to sell that. I personally didn't like it. I do find life insurance and those products very important, especially now that I have a family of uh, three daughters and a wife. I'm like, dude, if something happens to me, like I need to know they're going to be okay, at least financially, right? So did learn a lot from that. Ended up um, jumping into the corporate world because my dad's an aerospace engineer. So he's like, hey, man, like you've been 1099 your whole life. Like, why don't you just give the W-2 world a shot just to see it? So, yeah, I was like, all right, you know, this is a time where I don't want to do life insurance. Let's try that. And I got a job at a skilled nursing facility. Luckily for me, 
I applied for the marketing position, but they didn't give that to me. Never mind. I don't want to offend anyone, but like I found out later why I didn't get that position because I wasn't a girl or or gay. <laughs> I found out later, like I wasn't a girl, I was a gay, and that was I guess the prerequisite for that manager to hire me. But it was a blessing in disguise because like oh. that didn't work out. I ended up doing social services, but I ended up meeting two of my best friends because of working there. One was my boss. One was the guy that I met briefly and then got me the job. And then a, a girl that I was in class with to get my social services certificate while I had the position. I don't even know if that's ethical. I was like literally in school while I had the social services position that ended up later introducing him to my wife. So that little wow. six month period was a huge part of like where I am today, which then made me realize I'm an entrepreneur. Like I need to get back into this space. And I remembered one of my buddies growing up was starting a tech company. So hit him up that same day, his business partner who I didn't know posted on Facebook that they were looking for someone in sales. So it ended up being one of those serendipitous things. And you know, when I met him, I was like, Hey guys, I'm already making six figures. Like I know you're starting up. So I just want a $40,000 base and then commission opportunities and we're good to go. And they're like, dude, you're probably going to make like ten dollars to $15,000 the next two years. But here's where we're going, right? <laughs> here's, here's where we're going to be one day. But right now, you're not, you're not going to make anywhere near that. So at the time, no family. Talked to my dad about it. And Will Graywall, who's the CEO of Homestack, I've known the guy since I was five. Like, we've always kind of been that, like, quarterback to receiver connection. The guy's just brilliant and good at what he does. And Matt Potter, the other business owner, um, his father owns a real estate company here. And he's kind of like that Steve Jobs, uh, Elon Muskish, like, has social skills, but also kind of like, is like, what the hell is this guy thinking about right now? Like always outside the box thinking the stuff that he comes up with is something you just don't think is going to land right now. But then when it does land later, you're like, that was genius. So building apps mm. 10 years ago for iPhone and Android was not the thing to do. Blackberry was the big phone and realtors thought right. Zillow was going to go out of business so we were like way ahead of our time. Even now, like it's slowly getting there where realtors are like, no, I have to have this. Hmm. Yep. Hmm. <laughs> you gave me a, a lot there. A lot I to know. unpack. So in your adult life, you literally lived as a 1099 person. Literally. Because when you said you were with Cutco for six years, I was like, I wonder if that was at a 1099 or was that a W-2? And then I, we all know insurance is usually a 1099 position. And so you had like a stint of about six months where you were a W-2 and you say, yeah, this is not for me. Nope. So as a 1099, and one thing that I love telling sales leaders when they're hiring people and like, oh, they don't have industry experience. They don't have this. They don't have that. I'm like, yeah, you know, some of the best salespeople that I've ever met, a successful 1099 salesperson is gonna be so good because they're hungry. They know they have to eat what they kill. That's what you do every single day. If you don't kill it, you don't eat that day. Yeah, it's, you know, it's not for everyone, obviously. And there's people that want the safe route and that's just not in my DNA. I like taking risks. You know, now I'm a, now I'm a dad, right? Like I gotta take more calculated risks. If yeah. I had the family at the time, I don't know if I would have taken that exact position. 
But it was literally a situation where I'm like, I know I'm going to see Will the rest of my life. I don't want to be that guy that wondered what if, right? Like, I know I'm, I'll probably make half a million dollars a year, be a VP of sales somewhere else, you know, corporate world in the sense. But that was my chance to start a company from scratch and then eventually, you know, get to the point where we're selling this thing for hundreds of millions. Hmm. So talk to us about really starting at a startup, like <laughs> at the grassroots stages, like those early days, because, you know, everybody sees these big SaaS tech companies and like, oh, they're so amazing. They're so great. But that's not where they started. Talk to us about what that was like. Well, this is completely bootstrapped. We're still even to this day self-funded no seed money. Like we are getting to the point now where the seed money starting to make a little more sense just for rocket fuel for growth. Now that like everything, you just can't, you can't throw money at a, a problem, like something that's not tested, you know, a proven concept. You can't just throw money at it and hope it works out. It just usually doesn't. So the bootstrap days was like, all right, well, I know how to make phone calls. I know how to connect with people. <laughs> I have zero idea about real estate. I'm like 24 at the time. No idea about real estate. So let me learn this. Let me dive in. Let me read books. Let me talk to Matt, whose dad owns a company. Let me just sit with Matt's dad for two hours and like absorb as much as I can about the industry so that when I talk to them, these people, I have the lingo down. Escrow, closing deals, open houses, like those types of things, right? But I'm not going to lie. Like the first six months were extremely difficult getting hung up on all the time. What are you talking about? I don't even have an iPhone. And it was that learning curve. But, you know, like I understand in sales that as long as you put in enough effort and you do take the time to like dive in and improve your, your game and learn like what is happening in the industry, the numbers always play out. Make enough calls, yeah. meet enough people, the numbers are going to play out eventually. So... Just the early days was just really learning. It was learning, right? And that's what so many companies, salespeople, sales leaders, they don't do is they don't get into the customer's world. They stay in their world. They learn all about their products and how great their products are and what it can do. But like you said, it's like, I need to learn their language. I need to learn what matters to them. And that's really what sets you up for success to be like, we're self-funded. We, because once you start taking investors money, they control what you do. And then you they're like, we want you to grow, 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 grow. And you don't hit those growth targets. And then like we've seen in the news, what happens? You have to cut 20, 30, 40, 50% of your workforce, right? Yeah. And so it's better to say, we know that we have a good customer base. We have a good product with the kinks worked out. And we believe in this before we start taking outside money. Oh yeah. And you know, 90% of startups go out of business after like two or three years, I think it is. Um, we did almost a few times. Like there was literally the first year on the job, mm. we started getting things rolling and then Apple decides to change their mapping system from Google maps to Apple maps, broke the app completely. Like you couldn't mm. search for homes anymore, which was like the main thing it did. So we had a decision to make. It was like, all right, well, do we try to fix this or do we build a new app? So the logical thing at the time wow. was like, we got to build a new app, but now we also need equity. So I'm literally selling the app with slideshows pre-sale hey this is where it's gonna be this is the concept you're gonna get a huge discount we only want half of the build fee now to secure your name and the different things 
and it'll be ready in six to eight months. Trust me. You got to trust me. This is where we're going. So there was multiple stories like that. But, you know, in life in general, like the only time you really fail is when you stop, when you give up, right? Mm. You've given us two, no, three great lessons, right? At the first one is get into your customer's world. The second one is you don't have to build it before you start getting customers. <laughs> like some people like develop, 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 develop and have zero customers. And then they're like, oh yeah, now we need investment. And they're like, okay, well, how many customers do you have? Exactly. It's like, no, 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 don't build it and think they will come. And when life throws you lemons and oranges and squash, you have to figure out how to make something edible out of it. What can I do next? How can I make this better? And I can imagine that starting from scratch probably made the product even better, made it stand up even stronger because you had already had a year of development. So you knew what not to do. You knew the things that you did and like covered it up a little bit, right? Yeah, no, it definitely played into the different phases of each app that we've built. But yeah, I mean, you know, there's a difference between like accepting certain things, right? Like there are things out of your control and there are things you're just like, you know what? Like it happened, like, I just got to get over it. I got to move on. But there's certain things like when you're super passionate about, especially like a business, doesn't matter if you started the company or you just want to climb your way somewhere else. The only thing that's going to get you there aside from luck is you. So I'm a big believer that if you really want something, the answers will come as long as you put in the effort and have the passion behind it. Yes, it's all about knowing that the person who I am, what I contribute to this world, to this company, it's worth it, right? And whether I feel like I'm making a contribution today or not, I'm moving the needle forward. One step at a time. It's one day at a time. Sometimes it's an hour at a time. I've had weeks where it's like, when people are like, oh, it's just one day at a time. I'm going <laughs> hour by hour. What do I have next hour? What's coming up next on my calendar? Okay, I, I can handle that. Then what's next? But I know that really as when you're in the growing phase of either a company or a team, there are those moments that get tough. And so as you've had these ups and downs, these hills and valleys, what are some methods that you use at times where it thought that, hey, we're not going to make it out of this? How did you build up yourself enough to work through that? I mean, it's evolved over time. In the beginning, it was more of an ego thing where it's like, hell no. I'm not letting this happen. Like, it's not happening to me. Like, I, I know I'm good. I know a company's good. We got the right group of people. Like, it didn't, I don't want to say, like, I forced the change I wanted, but, like, it was more, like, it just was egocentric, right? Now, I'm realizing the difference between, like, when you shift your goals to, like, only about you, like, it's just temporary. Like, it phases away. It just doesn't last. When you shift your perspective to doing it for the company, for the people that work there, the employees. Like we have health insurance now. We have all these, we have 401k plans. Like sales is the bloodline of any company. So if you're not bringing in revenue, how are they going to feed their families? How are you going to mm -hmm. grow to bring in more help so the company gets to where it needs to be? And we have a lot of salary-based people in the company now. They don't contribute towards the revenue necessarily, but they're necessary to keep this thing flowing. And if the revenue's not coming in, they're not feeding their families. They're not providing the insurance that they need. And, uh, you know, my family's my motivation too. So how I 
get out of any slump now is meditation's a big part of it. Like you gotta breathe. If you're in the wrong state of mind, every call is gonna be in that state of mind. Like, yeah, something can turn it around, you have a great conversation and like you flipped your own script because of that. But I'm a big believer in taking even like two to five minutes to just stop. Just stop, meditate, breathe, refocus your perspective on what's important in life and where you wanna be. And then it go back to attacking and building relationships and, you know, taking it on that way. And it's just a lot less stressful too. Like your health is the biggest part of sales. You're not getting enough sleep. You're not happy with your, you know, maybe your physical appearance. You're not doing certain things that like are going to translate into how you talk to others, how you present yourself, how you feel in general, because energy is contagious. If you're in a bad mood, it's not hard for someone to pick up on that. Like you could try to hide it all you want, but eventually they're going to, you know, catch on to that. When you're in a great mood, when you're passionate, it's contagious. And who knows like maybe you're the person that uplifts that person that day to now do what they need to do on the other end of things. Mm. So So good. Yeah. That's so good. And I really like what you said in the beginning, thinking about, hey, sales is the lifeblood of the organization. I was actually telling an employee uh, recently, I was like, there, there are 15 people whose lives I'm responsible for. And she was like, wait, hold on. Did you go on a hiring blitz? I was like, no, you and your two kids. And then I listed all the employees in their pet. And she was like, oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> because as leaders, that's what you think about. It's not just me. It's not just my family. It's not just the employee. It's your family. It's how you're going to pay your mortgage and your bills, right? So all of those things, good leaders really think about. And because of that, the stress or the pressure sometimes comes down on us. And so we have to know how to disconnect. Take a moment to say, like, sometimes I might just be like, oh, I don't have meetings for a couple hours. I don't have anything pressing. I think I'm just going to take a nap, right? And that's okay because you know what you need to refresh and reboot. So as the company was going, you went from being the sales department to building a sales team. Mm -hmm. Tell us about your trajectory from being an individual contributor to growing your team. It was tough. Even we, like my uh, coworkers are like, all right, we just got to find more Robert Araucos, right? Like we need to replicate you. And like that would always fall flat on its face. Like we just, everyone's unique in their own way, right? And when you're in a situation where you're 1099 and your paycheck is like mainly dependent on your efforts, you're like, well, now I'm giving this attention and this time to this person who is not like even listening to what I'm saying. Like recruiting's tough. Like even now, like to this day, like we've had times where we've recruited like five sales reps in a row and trained them together and got them going and then they all failed. So now it's like, all right, we're going to take our time. We, uh, for anyone that recruits SDRs out there, uh, Satellite is a very good program. It's kind of like a recruiting agency, but it's basically a two-month college for SDRs. And they dive into psychology and like cold calling and like the path to tech sales and different things. But anyways, like we interviewed six people from them this week. All of them are polished. All of them are asking the right questions. But and it's tough, like now we have a grading system, like we have to grade each of these, you know, people based off of like culture fit, you know, remote selling setup, like different things like that. And um, what I've learned most lately of being a leader 
is the empathy side of things is very important because if you don't connect with your people, they're going to leave. That's the beauty of like connecting with your people. They can get a job offer that may even be 20, 50,000 more, which is probably the right move, you know, for their family or whatever it is, but like they don't want to leave because they love working with you, the organization, they see the upside of growing within the company. But that was my weakness at the same time. Always been good with connecting with people. Even at that skilled nursing facility, I didn't know how to do all the paperwork because it was brand new to me. But me connecting with the patients was what I was good at. Taking them outside for some fresh air, making sure their day was right. I even had a lady that she had uh, dementia. I'd bring her a flower every day. She called me on her deathbed after I was already gone from the company. Her daughter called me like, hey, my mom wants to see you. Uh, she misses you. I'm like, dude, she has dementia. And she remembered me like that. Anyways, oh. connecting is the most important thing. But what I've learned lately is you got to have accountability. You got to stay true to the numbers, the North Star. It's got to be a healthy mix of the two. Like, are you running a bunch of groupie salespeople? Where everybody just gets along and has fun. And there's not as much accountability to like hitting metrics. Or are you running like a bullpen where it's all about numbers turn and burn you know whatever revenue first I don't like that so the healthy blend of the two and to be honest I think when you hold someone accountable you actually care about them like that's a sign of caring in my opinion yeah wow a scorecard for hiring it's like all the makings of the things that we need to do to really ensure that we're getting the best people for the positions and i love to say hire slow fire fast and some people are like oh wow why do you say that i'm like because if you take your time and hire the right people and if they don't hit the metrics the things that you know that they should be in week two if they're not doing this let's have a conversation get you up to speed in week three if you still aren't getting it then there's something that's not right here because you're right having that empathy and that compassion Sometimes it hurts us as leaders because we hold on to the wrong people too long, mm -hmm. right? And so we have to find that balance between, yes, I need somebody who's driven, who's driving, but I have to not push them too much, push them just enough. And really having that individualized coaching plan for each person on the team is so, so important. Yeah, definitely. Another little strategy I've been implementing lately too is like as that team grows, it's just harder to like give everyone that one-on-one -on -one attention that, you know, people like it. Like they're looking up to you, they're growing, they're trying to become you sometimes in a sense, right? And what's been really working lately is not just, we use Stack for our, our whole company, or sorry, Slack for our whole company to interact. So shout outs to the whole team, like, hey, Christian just set up three in a row. You know, they love that. And quick videos too, mm -hmm. like quick, like 30 second to one minute videos that are high energy, either directly to the person, right? Like, hey, I know you've been struggling. You've talked to 10 people so far, but that's okay. It's all about the next call. It's, you know, how can you improve your strategy? Think about the 10 people that just said no to you and what could you have done different there? You know what to say. So let's connect. Like those small things sometimes mm -hmm. make the biggest difference. And from a time standpoint, now I don't have to spend 15 minutes with that person trying to like get them back on track emotionally and, you know, 
from a driven standpoint that one minute video did the trick obviously you need the FaceTime but like that has been something I've implemented lately that's made a huge difference proactive versus reactive leadership that is amazing having setting the stage for people to know that this is an environment where we're not just shouting you out for closing a sale because I think a lot of times salespeople, that's like, I call that, that's the lagging indicator. What are the leading indicators? What are the behaviors we need to drive to ensure that we're hitting these revenue targets? Let's encourage those small things along the way. So even a brand new person in their third week and they just made their first call, right? Hey team, guess what? Such and such just did this. Mm -hmm. They booked this meeting. They did that. That helps motivate them because they feel like I'm a value part of the team, even though I'm brand new. Exactly. So you have had a very, very diverse um, career and you have three wonderful kids and you're married. What is the one thing that you are most proud of accomplishing within your life, whether personally or professionally? That's a tough one. Cause like, I'm always the guy that's like looking forward, but I've put a huge emphasis in now. I've noticed like that's one of the tricks to life. Like you dwell on the past. Like that's the problem with salespeople too. Is like there was a time with Cutco crushing it. Number one, number one in the nation, winning trophies, la 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 la. And then I had some personal stuff in my life that happened that affected my sales. And then when I tried to get back into it, I was like wondering why it wasn't happening anymore. It's because I was focusing too much on the past, right? Mm. Not on the now. And then there's people that get too caught up in the future and they're just like, Hey, you know, this is where I want to be. This is where I want to be. And they're only focusing on that. And especially when you have a family, like now you're a lot of times you're neglecting them because they're next to you in the living room mm -hmm. and they want your attention and you're too busy, like planning something on your phone or whatever the case. So a big thing that I focus on now is focusing on the now because you don't know what's next. You could have the biggest plans in the world. You walk outside, something happens, you're gone, right? Yeah. Sorry, what, what, can you repeat the question one more time? I just want to make sure I'm, ans <laughs> I want to make sure I'm answering it the right yeah, way. You did, you did. And I think right. that really to round that out, the past two years, if it taught us nothing else, it taught us that nothing is promised to you and nothing is in your control because literally people had these grand plans for 2020 in March. It's like, nope, uh-uh. They're like, oh, okay, I'll do it in three months, six months, then a year. <laughs> then it's like 18 months and it's like, okay, I guess this is a new normal, right? Because for a while it's like we're living in this space where we're just holding on. And then you're like, I have to start adapting. I have to start changing. And those that didn't adapt, the businesses that went out of business, they're the ones who didn't adapt. They're the ones who didn't change. The people who may have been laid off, unfortunately, during that time, and they're still not able to find a new position, it's because, again, they're still living in what I used to do or what I my last position was. And they're not really trying to think about, well, what can I do now? Where am I today? And how can I impact the world with where I am today and what I'm doing. Yeah, no, it's a must. And our business grew during COVID. Like that was one of that forward thinking type of things. Like we were using Zoom three years before COVID hit. So like getting a realtor onto a Zoom call in the beginning was, what am I downloading? Like this is gonna change my computer and I don't wanna do this compared to like now everybody knows what to do. They click a link, they're in. And we were already perfectly set up for that. 
and the pitch changed. How are you going to stay in front of your clients if you can't be face-to-face? -face? It's on this thing, mm. right? Stay on their mm. phone. That's good. That's good. Yeah, you guys had that, like you said, that Elon Musk, um, uh, Tim, that whole bit of all these forward-thinking people that we think about. If we think about Tesla and SpaceX and even Apple, you know, like, 10, like 15, 20 years ago, what was Apple? So remember the big box that yeah. I had in elementary school that I would be typing on, right? Like I, that's the Macintosh <laughs> that I remember. And now it's, it's a household name. And so I think that really what your organization has done is you've always been forward thinking. And so when the time came for you guys to step up and accept the, hey, we've always been here, it was easy to captivate the market. Yeah, no, we, uh, we doubled down on everything we went from one state to 48 within uh, about two years of uh, where we can offer the product. Cause, wow. Yeah. Well, that's, it's a very complicated thing because like, there's what's called the MLS. So this is like a data company where the realtors upload their listings. And it's, you know, I don't know who's going to watch it. It's like there's some mafia style aspects to it where it's like, we don't want to let you in. Like you got to pay. You got to do this. You just got to follow these rules and like. You have to be able to adjust to each market. You have to be able to get that data in and pay these fees and everything. And it's unheard of to go for a startup to grow that fast in times like yeah. that, but we were able to do it. Yeah. And knowing that you're in the housing market during the housing boom, I think <laughs> really, really. And now we're about to go into that lull and people still want to be ahead of their customers. They still want to be in front of the customers so they can be top of mind. So you definitely are set up for success. This has been an amazing conversation, Robert. What is the one best way that people can get in touch with you if they're wanting to connect? If you're a realtor, broker, or something like that, homestack.com, that's like stack of paper. We'll build you your own app. We'll walk you through the, the process. And we have coaches that assist with marketing and teaching you the system. If you want to reach out to me directly, uh, I do have a LinkedIn account that's probably the best route, uh, Robert Arauco. My last name is A-R-A-U-C as in cat O. The only Robert Arauco in the United awesome. States, so it won't be hard to find me there. <laughs> Woohoo! I'm the only Wesley. Yeah. <laughs> I gotcha. So again, thank you so much for spending your time with us today and enriching us with all of the ins and outs of being a 1099, going into startup SaaS and into growth mode. We definitely appreciate all of your expertise. Thank you. We really appreciate you for having me on. And, uh, and all of your listeners, like this lady knows what she's talking about. So keep listening, keep coming back. Thank you so much for the shout out. And that was another episode of the Transformed Sales Podcast. Remember, in everything that you do, find a way to transform your sales. Until next time.